Welcome to Bottomless Coffee. We're building a community of people who have looked around the world and thought, we can do a little bit better than this. Right now, we're bringing people together through conversations with change makers who have agreed to be a part of our community. First up is Alex Palacios, a proud trans person and politician of color. Support this content and our community by going to patreon.com slash bottomless coffee and becoming a subscriber. And learn more about all of our guests and our community at bottomlesscoffeepodcast.com. Here we go. Welcome to Bottomless Coffee, Brendan. It's been a little bit since I've seen you, seen you in person. And um, I know it's always a joy to see your smiling face. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we're, what, three days till the election? So just taking it one day at a time. I've been reading like eight steps to not lose your mind in these uh, next three days. Um, all of them were like, what not to fixate on. Um, so trying to trying to push all that out and keep it together. Okay, so Brendan is taking part in and what I'm hearing is an eight step program. Um, <laughs> what what step would you say that you're on? Uh, well, I got the voted one, checked that off. Excellent. Um, and now it's just uh, meditation, alternate nostril breathing, and Chardonnay. Oh, I'm uh, I'm here for that last one for sure. <laughs> um, How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. If I guess, in case anyone doesn't know who I am, if they've wandered onto this podcast or this video. I'm Jerome. Uh, you know, I try to be really nice. I'm enjoying, I'm trying to find my zen in this time before the election because I feel as though I've been involved in politics for so long that it's, I've set a whale, well-oiled machine in motion and then I just got to make sure it's running to Tuesday. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll be okay, hopefully. Um, so today we're going to be talking politics and intersections. And before I introduce my guests, I just want to ask you, Brendan, uh, have you heard politicians debate on any of your fundamental civil rights anytime over like this week or last week? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, Alito and um, Thomas, was it? They, at the beginning of this term, said that they wanted to revisit Obergefell, which is, of course, the decision that nationalized the ability for, um, for gay marriage. Yes. Um, and hearing that debated again, you know, is, is uh, a little worrying. Um, that actually hits very close to home. Um, and it's funny, I wrote the question but didn't think about this. I just got married um, on the 10th of October. And our officiant was, uh, is obviously very program, but it was also like, if you know anyone that needs to get married before, you know, a decision comes down that might strike down the law, let me know. I'll do it for free. I'll crank out as many in a day as I have to in order wow. to make sure that as many people are as protected as possible. And I was like, that is so real. Um, but you did make this about you on my wedding day. And we can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, but let's talk to our guest, Alex. Hi, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm pretty good. Hey, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation because I know how much uh, there is about you to share. Um, so let me just revisit some of the things you provided to us, and we'll make sure they're also true. Uh, Alex Palacios, is that indeed your real name? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and your pronouns are they, them? Yes, proudly they, them. Fantastic. Born in Honduras, of Garifuna descent. Did I pronounce it properly? Garifuna, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And raised in the Bronx. Yes, in the South Bronx, okay. just about a mile and a half from the Yankee Stadium. Now, you know, Brendan is in New York right now. Yes, yes, I'm uh, kind of 
feeling a little homesick right now. That's okay. Well, if you were feeling homesick, did you see the story from the Bronx where the guy was walking on the sidewalk and fell into a vault full of rats that then <laughs> crawled all over him? My mother sent me that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's just how they welcome you to New York. So um, everyone has to get one experience like that. You know, fight a rat for a slice of pizza on the subway. That is horrifying. I'm going to have nightmares about that. <laughs> Let me ask, since you are not in New York, thank goodness, uh, apparently, thank goodness, you, uh, for work, you work for what's called the Aliveness Project. Would you mind just telling us a little bit about the Aliveness Project? Yeah, the Aliveness Project is a community center based in South Minneapolis uh, that provides resources for people living with HIV. And I myself am a person living with HIV, and I started there as just a member, right? That's what we call uh, the folks that are affiliated with us. They're our members. Uh, I became a member there in 2016. Uh, I served on the board, uh, and I stepped down from the board to take an outreach position, uh, to do testing and education, and recently uh, I've been promoted to member services. So I... Before I was dealing with getting folks in touch with resources if they didn't know their status, right? And now I'm dealing with folks who know their status, uh, who are positive, and just need answers. Fantastic. And then you're also, in, in, I guess, in your extra time, um, involved politically in the city of Minneapolis. Uh, you both ran for uh, city council recently. And you're actively involved in the local Stonewall DFL caucus. Yes, yes. Um, and there's still time to spare. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I serve as membership director for Stonewall DFL, uh, as you mentioned, the LGBT caucus here in the state of Minnesota. And um, that was really one of the launching pads for me as far as running for office locally uh and i i guess we can talk more about that later but uh it has it's really been an incredible experience uh and a humbling one so mm -hmm. i was I, I would do it all over again okay and jerome for the people who are not minnesota voters can you explain what dfl is Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, the DFL will be the Minnesota Local Democratic Party, um, except the DFL stands for Democratic Farmer Labor. Oops, it looks like I froze, so I'll just take it off. Jerome, did you freeze that? I froze. <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, where did I... Uh, at the end of... Uh, it's a coalition that's... Uh, grown-up that's similar to the Democratic Party. Okay, yeah. well, if I got all of that out, then we'll be okay. <laughs> okay, well, um, Alex, what we're going to do is take the quickest of breaks, and then we're going to come back and ask you just a couple of questions on political power, service, and um, what I know to be your favorite topic of conversation, intersectionality. Sound good? That's great. Okay, be right back. Hi there, it's Jerome again. So we made it eight minutes and 50 seconds into our conversation before we encountered our first two technical limitations. At one point when Alex is describing their new role with the Aliveness Project, the audio dips out as they're saying that they now work with members who are aware that they have HIV, but need more support. And then a little later, our conversation froze while I was describing the Democratic Farmer Labor Party. For a politician that will likely be seeking the endorsement of the DFL in the future, that's really the last thing that you want to have happen. If you'd like more information on the DFL, including a history that recounts the merger of the Minnesota Democrats, the Farmer Party, and the Labor Party, please go to dfl.org. So, while these comically timed technical glitches mark the first moments of embarrassment in this podcast venture, it also marks our community's first opportunity for growth. 
And since the goal of the podcast is to inspire people to improve what they can improve in the world around them, it seems only fair that I share some of the harder parts of producing a podcast and YouTube show. In subsequent episodes, you'll see Brendan, myself, and our guests trying varying production techniques to deliver the best quality product possible for you. And I'm glad to say that we do succeed, though it takes us a few episodes to do so. Coming up, Alex will discuss the factors that brought them to a life of service and shares a story with us about their first encounter with the intersection of politics and service. Okay. Hey, we're back. It was a, a very quick break. I'm back with Alex Blasios and Brendan Phillips. And now we're going to talk about the Aliveness Project a little bit more. Um, I want to point out that you did hold a citywide rally to highlight violence against the Black transgender community. Um, and in that other, I want to say like 12 point bulleted list of uh, service work that you provide. Um, I'm just curious, was a service like an intentional decision for you or is it something that you accidentally found yourself going into professionally? Uh, I would say neither. Uh, I would say, well, it's probably closer to the happy accident, but I would call it a universal cons- conspiracy, right? Okay. Like, Things in my life just sort of conspired to get me to this point. Uh, and uh, I would be lying if I said that there was a lot of intentionality to get here. Uh, but uh, my, uh, my upbringing, right? I was raised by a nurse and a pastor, um, also somebody who served in the armed forces in Honduras. Uh, where from originally and uh and so those were two very clear uh, sort of examples of service uh, and, and uh, can you take us down the path like tell us just a little bit about your life and what led you to where you are today because um what we really want people to get out of listening to episodes is that um you know you can make a difference within your sphere of influence uh no matter who you are Right, like anyone within their sphere can make a change to the systems that they're in, right? And you have gotten to, I think, a really admirable place. Uh, whereas Brendan pointed out, you know, you and I—we're the only ones in this conversation that are brought Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll get there eventually. <laughs> I hope so. Twenty twenty forty is my new uh, my new target date for running. Uh, clearly, I've got room in, the, in here for uh, a Brendan sign, so I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, but can you tell us, Alex, about the path that brought you to service and to Brady Robbins? Yeah, and uh, I would, if I may, amend your statement uh, to say that um, you can uh, choose to have a life of service and, and really dedicate yourself to that because of who you are, right? Yes. Uh, as to no matter who you are, because it, it absolutely matters. And um, and my my story is one of making lemonade, right? Um, out of the lemons that I had, I was fortunate enough to be able to immigrate to this country when I was six years old, uh, and it was. An, a helpline, right? It was certainly uh, an adventure at six years old, but there were some obstacles that were presented, um, including uh, coming to terms with my queerness, including um, the breakup of my family, including uh, just being a, a child and then a teenager in uh, the New York City public schools and the challenges of that. Um, so I would say I would I would say that my story is sort of anointed by woundedness, right? Um, and I didn't have to remain wounded. I didn't have to uh, remain a victim of my circumstances. Uh, but I did have to uh, go through some pretty 
tough things before I figure out and I think that's, that's kind of a universal story. You know, we all have tough circumstances that we have to deal with. Um, but at some point, I feel as though we make the choice to not be defined by our circumstances and to make our lives what we want to make of it. Um, and, and famously, at least in my mind, famously with you, when we first met, you had no plans on running for office. And so um, I'm still impressed that within just a few months of that conversation, you know, you were holding that vigil, I'm wearing a cape, no less. <laughs> <laughs> a cape that would go really nicely with your new hair, by the way. <laughs> so from that, that point of, you know, overcoming this personal woundedness a lot of people at that point would say that's a lot of work i have done the things that i need to do to get to that point but what made you go the step further that you had to then spread that to to other people because those are two very different things and you could you could almost see yourself saying i overcame a lot you know my work's done now so uh that's a great question uh i i think Overcoming is a is a never-ending process, right? Uh, I think that that is just something that we get better at. We get more practice at, um, and there's always something to overcome. Uh, and when you realize, well, when I realized that, and when I sat and thought about the fact that there are powers greater than myself out there um, that I've yet to tap into. That's really the, the seed, if you will, of service for me. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of it was from, you know, being a lonely teenager. A lot of it was wanting to, I'll, I'll share this with you. My, the first time I ran for office was when I was in the eighth grade. And uh, I ran for student, uh, student body vice president. And the only reason I did that, because I was, I was very unpopular at school. I was the only out person in my middle school. Uh, and in the South Bronx, that's, that's rough going. Um, but I did it because I heard some teachers talking about the fact that the students who were learners of English as a second language, right, mm -hmm. didn't have courses that they needed and didn't have anyone to, like, talk to outside of their peer group. Um, and so the first thing I did when I won that election, because I won, um, was I went to the ESL courses uh, uh, classrooms and I introduced myself. Finish. And I I started where they were right. At one point, I didn't know English at all, um, and here I was. So, uh, that was the first sort of commitment. Uh, That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm going to call that a bottomless coffee exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> And then, so take us through the the journey of how you got into it um, as an adult as well. It sounds like the the seeds were there. You know what uh, what sparked you to to get into it? Yeah. So so this this uh, this childhood sort of happy coinciding, if you will, uh, suddenly branded me as a leader, right? And so through high school. Uh, it turned out that I was the person who did the things that nobody else wanted to do. Uh, by the way, I went uh, to, I was the first graduating class of my high school, so it was a brand new school. A lot needed to be done. Um, and story of my life, if no one else is going to pick up the baton, I'll do it. Um, uh, and that uh, led to a leadership scholarship, which is how I uh, got to college. I went to the University in Indiana uh, for your full tuition leadership scholarship through, through the Posse Foundation, 
Um, so, so grateful for that. But again, that came from directly from uh, leadership, right? Uh, and fast forward a little bit. Uh, I moved to Minneapolis. I am, uh, I've just discovered I'm HIV positive. I am entering uh, the depth of my addiction. Uh, I, I do identify as an addict. And I was just in a really, really, really dark place. And once again, uh, it was somebody at the Aliveness Project seeing that I was being of service in the space Right, because that was the only thing I really could do at the time. Um, who really fought for that? Um, so, uh, shout out to Amy, who was then the executive director, and to Teddy. Um, they um, really nurtured that uh, and helped me get my life back uh, to where uh, I, I needed it to be. Um, and so, the aliveness project in a lot of ways uh, taught me what the principles of co-governance are what power community are um, and how uh, imperative it is that we are of service that we give back that we uh, practice courage and that we are generous with our time and um, with our efforts. If you have found yourself feeling sidelined by life during political seasons, then this next section is for you. In a series of cognitive leaps, Alex makes the argument that many seemingly everyday actions are actually political actions. The argument is passionate, at times eloquent, but unfortunately, the bottom dropped right out of the audio quality during this segment. And to be honest, I considered cutting this segment entirely. But as we've already discussed, you take the good, you take the bad, and when you're done, you have episode one of Bottomless Coffee. Rough around the edges, but full of potential. If, during the next few minutes, you find yourself having trouble understanding Alex's responses, then please skip ahead. After this section of the episode, the audio quality remains relatively stable. And for those who need it, I have typed out a full transcript of the conversation and posted it to bottomlesscoffeepodcast.com. And on the YouTube version of the conversation, I've added subtitles so that we can all be present for the full conversation. So when we were on break, uh, Brendan mentioned something about organizing. And just for the benefit of everyone who's listening and watching, would you mind, Brendan, just asking that again? Yeah. Um, so in a lot of cases, when we think about you know, political power and the ability of, of power to affect change, uh, we think in terms of like office holding, um, legislation, courts. Um, but there's a lot of power that's in you know, service, nonprofit, organization um, that we don't typically think about as parallel. Um, can you share some experiences of, of A, how you think about that, and then B, how that can affect real change in the world in a way that's separate from you know, the, the politics that we've been experiencing for the last, feels like 10 years, um, but I guess just the last couple of years. I think your question makes me think back to a conference of, uh, that I attended two days ago called Positive Changes. It was all about the intersection of racism and HIV. Right? Uh, it was fascinating. And uh, ultimately, our identities, our privilege, um, our access to resources. Um, those are all defined by systems uh, that are political, right? And these political 
So let, let's be clear that we're talking about human-made systems here. Um, these are the drivers of our currency. And so by being able to take ownership of your identity, by being able to uh, take ownership of your civic duties, right? Uh, what I like to call living out loud, being courageous uh, and and uh, uncompromising in being this person. Uh, that is a political action. That is a political act. Uh, and things like, you know, agencies like nonprofits, like schools, um, like um, many other sort of public entities, uh, really have a strong focus on advocacy, which is part of the parcel what politics is. It's advocating for a result, uh, a result that benefits, hopefully. Um, the, the mass, right? The, the largest amount of people. Um, and of course, now we're talking history. Of course, then we have to temper that with uh, systems like racism, right? Mm. Uh, this country was founded on and perfected. Um, and that doesn't mean that we get to give up. It doesn't, mean to, it doesn't mean that we end our work with accepting that this is the way things are. Um, it means that we get to hold each other to task and say, okay, but we clearly want folks to be able to engage and do this political work, not just of running for office, but of being fully wholeheartedly yourself and uh, understanding your work. Uh, then we have to build equitable systems. We have to dismantle right, the foundation, the very foundation of this country, and rebuild. It's not impossible. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging, and it's going to take time. But the more uh, of us who commit to that labor, uh, the closer we'll be each and every day. And I really, really believe that. So. For people who haven't, you know, committed their entire lives to that labor, but do agree with you, um, which is, you know, let's be honest, it's going to be the majority of people. What are things that they can do that would enable um, both the people that are doing the, the brunt of the work to be able to do it, to do it well, and then enable the, the goals of, of the the movement really to uh, be achieved. Well, let me be clear uh, about the fact that I think that anyone who accepts kindness in the world and who helps another person be more fully themselves is doing a political act. So if you are a mother who is too busy to make uh, to do tech or something, but are teaching your, your, your children about what a ballot is and what a bill is, right? And having these conversations, then you are doing a political action. If you are telling them that you love them and that they're perfect just the way they are and that uh, they should always try for self-improvement, then you're doing a political action. Um, if you have never, ever, ever turned on CNN, right? Um, but uh, really enjoy I don't know, writing about your interests and and disseminating that to the world. You're, you are engaging in a political action. Uh, political activism starts here, right? And it, what we know as political action is the reverberation of that. And so anyone can be politically active. You just have to have that intentionality of saying, how do I make something, anything outside of myself better, stronger, and more cool? And that, this is a conversation that I have with my sister all the time. She's a single mother of two, and she does not have time for, for any of this. Right? Of like the fact that I would have grandfather and 
know, but she'll be the first one to tell her daughter what the, you know, what, why women are marked up on. Hmm. Or she'll be the first to uh, share with her son uh, why uh, the topic of sexual violence is a problem. These are political acts. These are acts that will change our systems uh, in the years to come. Okay. Uh, Alex, you know me, you know I'm itching to jump to home. Like, give me the microphone. I also have things to say. <laughs> That's not this show. Let's uh, <laughs> take the shortest break uh, and then be right back. Cool? Okay. Part of the reason why I love this conversation with Alex is because they have such a firm grasp on their values and they're able to communicate those values to people who don't share their values in a way that those people can still understand. That's not an accident. As political candidates, Alex and I spent months standing up in front of groups of strangers and articulating our beliefs and what our communities could be like if we adopted a particular policy agenda and why that policy agenda aligned with our values. We did that over and over and over again. And that's part of what I hope our Bottomless Coffee community will think about. Why do we believe what we believe? Do our everyday actions align with those beliefs? And when someone asks us, why are you so different? What motivates you to behave the way that you do? I want the members of our community to be able to answer. Uh, hi, we're back. We had what turned out to be a little bit longer of a break. And we, have a, we had a new kind of impromptu question for Alex come up that was so good that we wanted to bring you back and share. Um, so I have to read this one. Getting people to recognize political acts in the service of rebuilding the system better. Um, speaking of that, how do you get people to work with you on agreeing what better actually means? Uh, I love the question because it reminds me of when I wanted to be an actor. Oh. Yes. Uh, there was a time in my life where I really wanted to, and I even took like courses for acting in front of camera and everything. I really wanted to pursue this, right? Uh, and one of the things that I learned in study was uh, about the actor's motivation, right? Uh, sure. Nobody goes into a scene and believes that they're the villain, right? They're not the villain. They are just a person with a specific motivation and a specific set of values that lead to a specific action. It's the same in life, right? And we label ourselves. Um, and we face judgment. That's just human nature. But ultimately, what it comes down to is, for me, it's understanding that the person who's disagreeing with me is not disagreeing with me uh, because of me. And is not disagreeing with me because uh, they're flawed morally. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, what it comes down to is understanding their motivation, understanding why they behave and think in a specific way, why they value the things that they value, and what connections we can make uh, to each other. Because that's when you really start seeing people sort of. Not, not necessarily change our minds, but take a step back and think a little bit about what um, When uh, things are said by rote, you can definitely you can definitely oh, it's, uh, uh, something that you picked up on MSNBC or Fox Let's get to what you actually did. Mm. I think that's such a great point. I feel as though um, and even when I ran for office, I had a strong values message as well. And I think that's when I really began to realize that a lot of people don't take the time to actually think through what their values are and why their values are 
what they think they are, right? Um, and I think that really ties in beautifully with Brent's questions about uh, acts and service and what one thing that someone who's never really thought about it before can do now for free. You can start thinking about why you believe the things that you do and start questioning if maybe some of those values you hold are outdated and need to be changed. Um, that is also great. <laughs> so have you never met someone where their values are just so fundamentally opposed to what you think a better world looks like that you cannot connect with them? Oh, I absolutely have. I absolutely <laughs> have. Uh, the, my assertion is that that doesn't need to be a static thing, right? Uh, that we can grow closer in the understanding of our values and how they drive us forward. So, uh, you know, when I was uh, phone banking during the campaign and uh, I, uh, there were some people who answered and said, I'm not voting for you. I will never vote for you. And don't you ever call me again, right? What was behind that? Obviously, I didn't get the chance to have that conversation with that person. <laughs> but I don't take it as, oh, there is something fundamentally wrong with me or wrong with them. They would say these things. I took it as, I wonder what it is about what I'm presenting that is so off-putting to that person. Um, and in the same token, when I went door knocking, and door knocking during COVID was a trick. Uh, <laughs> when I did go door knocking, and I'm sure Jerome, you, you did uh, uh, share this experience, uh, you did get the chance to have deeper conversations about, okay, so you're voting for the other person or you're undecided. What is important to you? And how does, how does my vision connect to your values? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's often surprising how um, quickly people will be able to give you at least some grace and, um, and understand that our visions, uh, which seem diametrically opposed, uh, can be a little closer together. Oh, do you, do you have any examples of that from the door knocking or the phone banking where, you know, it started out this far apart and then you were able to connect a little bit more? Yeah, there was actually uh, a, uh, we knocked on a woman's door. Uh, we were on, on our list. We were looking for uh, the college age son, right? And that okay. We were there to of course you were. Yeah. <laughs> we were there to talk to, but mom, mom answered the door and uh, she's uh, from Britain and she's, um, she just did not understand why anyone would want to defund the police, right? Could not understand that. Uh, we did not convince her to cast for me, but this is really important. Uh, what we did do is make the distinction between attacking police officers, which is if you're looking at any attack ads right now, that's, that's all that, that the other side is saying, right? That people are coming after police officers. Uh, we distinguish the person in the uniform from the uniform itself and what it represented. And that made a huge difference in the quality of our conversation. Mm. You're out there doing the work. And I, thank you. I, I find myself thanking you for, <laughs> thank you for your service. That sounds so trite, but as you describe it, that is an act of service. Um, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Because you were out doing the very same thing. Uh, making it true <laughs> and i'm here to make podcasts um no so it, it sounds like you know going through that work provides a lot of opportunities for thinking about conversations like that topics like that in new ways are there any lessons that you've learned so far through running for office that you wish you had known you know before getting into all of this yeah i think 
I think I became much more aware of the flaws in the um, standard political process, right? What we what we know, what we think of when we think of the political process. Um, there are all sorts of barriers and obstacles, and those things that mm-hmm. are very relevant to my life outside of politics become magnified uh, in my life within politics. Uh, so the discrimination, the the identity politics, the um, personal attacks, um, the refusal to um, reach out and extend a hand to somebody uh, who is uh, who's start who's starting line right at this race that we call life was way way far behind, um, and and the refusal to understand that nobody's asking for uh, a handout, we're asking for equity. Um, those things became very real. Um, those dynamics became very very present uh, while running for office. Um, but ultimately, I had to continue being the person in the arena, you know, like Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to continue being the person who uh, sought to work around, jump over, crawl under all of these obstacles and different dynamics and different dilemmas, um, not because I had to be exceptional, but because if I could do it, somebody else was coming behind me. Um, so that was really important. Um, and I would say also separating, um, labor, right? Because, uh, being involved in politics is laborious. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's separating that from self-indulgence, right? And, and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Being able to bring your entire self into this political arena. It means uh, widening your perspective of what the political arena is. Uh, It means uh, knowing that uh, an office uh, will not give you power, Um, at least political power, as we were talking about earlier. What gives you political power is people. Um, So co-governance, right, is, and I said this word uh, quite a few times, uh, and intersectionality, which is like my favorite world, the word, yes. <laughs> and as you know this, um, is, is those things as guiding principles um, mm-hmm. has deepened uh, so much. And for those two things, I am very grateful. So for the the uninitiated in this terminology, um, I think intersectionality is uh, a pretty popular word. Can you explain what co-governance means? Yeah, so co-governance uh, pushes back against the narrative that a person holding office uh, leads from the front, right? Uh, and yes, uh, uh, politicians, in my opinion, should be aspirational. They should. Uh, strive to um, uh, have the conversations that uh, lead progress, that that propel people uh, forward, right? Uh, but co-governance means at every step, in every decision, uh, at every level, you are involving the community, right? You are making sure that as many people who you represent uh, have a chance to make their voice heard, to have their opinions heard about legislation, policy, um, timelines, procedures, um, uh, uh, everything from you know how we source our energy to where uh, where our our children go to school and. And if they should have different opportunities because they go to school at different zip codes, to uh, what bus route runs by your house, to uh, you know where where we dispose of our our refuse, our our trash, um, all of these things, right? People sit in halls and make decisions uh, about, but unless they're backed up by the voices of the community, 
it's not sustainable. Yeah, because you think of the there's almost like a, two classes of people. There's the people who are governing, and then the people who are governed. Um, and you think of those very separately. And so, I guess co-governance is breaking that down a little bit and saying, you know, the people who are governing aren't just representatives of the community; they are part of that community. Um, and, is that right? Yeah, and and so, and so are the people in office, right? Mm-hmm. Those people are part of a community, and that can never be forgotten. So the governed are the governing. Yeah, and it feels like maybe that's gotten worse in in the past, you know, 15, 20 years with the nationalization of politics, um, because it kind of takes you out of the community. Um, so what, what you two are doing with uh, making politics very local is kind of fighting back against that a little bit. Yeah, I would say 100%. It drives me nuts when people, um, politicians in particular, um, even pro- progressive politicians just kind of fire off these aspirational uh, policies and legislation, and they haven't really done the community work to make sure that they are adequately supported when that legislation comes out. Um, and to my, in my mind, immediately comes like the Zero Waste Act, uh, the Housing for All Act. I'm like, these are good policies that people, people's values align with. Um, but in some cases, people don't know that their values align with those policies. So for instance, and I, I promise you I won't go long, uh, for instance, housing for all. Uh, when, when you say housing for all, it sounds weird, and super, super almost socialist, right? In like the worst sense. Um, but when you start asking someone if they think that their grandparents should be kicked out of the home they've lived in for 30 years um, because their pension dried up, like, should that should, should your grandmother have a home then, or does she need to be on the street? Right. All of a sudden, they're on team grandma. Um, you you pass by the homeless person in the alley, and you're like, I don't understand why the city or the county or whomever can't get these people a home. Well, that is housing for all. Um, and it when people when politicians don't do the work to really take those discrete examples that everyone has experienced with and show them as the underpinning of that legislation and that policy, the policy falls flat and sounds absurd and, you know, gets ridiculed on Fox News. Uh, and so I 100% agree with you, Brendan. Uh, Alex and I are doing exceptional work. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and you mentioned the discrete examples of things connected to policy is probably one of the ways that you can actually connect with values in people's minds, like you were talking about, Alex. Um, and I guess we need to do, do more of that in the work that we're doing. Yes. 100% agree. Um, Alex, I hope you thought about this next very tough question. Um, if someone is listening or watching right now, what can they do to support you? Great question. <laughs> uh, the first thing that uh, uh, people can do is commit to having difficult conversations with people who disagree with them. I think that would be an incredible way to support me and any other person uh, who is uh, who really believes in the promise of this country. Um, and I'm willing to bet that if you ask any person across this country, if you believe in the promise of this country, most people almost guaranteed will say yes, right? Um, So let's get to that. Um, I've been having a lot of dreaming conversations about racism, privilege, and intersectionality. Um, I've sort of branded myself as the intersectionality person. but it, it, it can get, it, it can be emotionally draining. Um, not least of which is because many of us have the privilege to uh, go on Google on your cell phone, get to a library, uh, um, have conversations with 
uh, family members, community members, friends. Uh, so practice that that privilege and learn about racism, intersectionality, uh, and privilege. Uh, but in more uh, concrete ways, uh, if if you'd like to support me, um, as I as we talked about uh, earlier. Uh, I work for the Aliveness Project as a member services manager, uh, and uh, the agency is uh, 35 years old. Uh, it started with a potluck for 25 people uh, who were having trouble uh, being served food, let alone like you know families, friends turning on them, and then like no human interaction whatsoever. Um, and now it's become this great agency that it is statewide. So please support the Alive Project um, uh, down in South Minneapolis. Uh, and if uh, you have any questions about HIV, um, if you're a person uh, who is HIV negative, uh, get to PrEP. If you're a person who uh, does not know your status, come down and get tested. If you're a person who's living with HIV, come down and let us be part of your family. Um, and finally, uh, uh, support uh, whatever uh, um, whatever movement you see out there that um, aligns with your values, but make sure that that movement does align with your values. So, for example, uh, we mentioned Stonewall DFL. Uh, our, our mission is to uh, connect with uh, LGBT folks and help them, right? Get to uh, offices, to to um, positions of leadership, um, and we need uh, the community support to get that mission done. Uh, but we're not the only group out there. So uh, please uh, find out whether it's your Senate district, your congressional district. Find out how you can be helpful, and uh, if that's not the way in which uh, you can help. Continue putting kindness and love out there. Continue asking for the best in people. Um, setting your expectations high. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this question, having difficult conversations. Well, there you go. I uh, should have been keeping a list. Um, <laughs> and maybe I will. Maybe I'll go back up with the list. Of, you can find out more about Alex and Bottomless Coffee at bottomlesscoffeepodcast.com. Yes. Um, and I'm really excited about everything we've got coming up next uh, in our future, uh, both as a podcast, as a YouTube show, and uh, in our friendship together with you, Alex. Thank you for being here. Thank you both. Thank you, Brendan. Great job. Thank you, Jerome. Woo! We did it. Cool. We did it. <laughs> Yay. Thank you for tuning into our first episode. We welcome your comments and feedback as we grow and improve. Please consider supporting our work at patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee. Full transcripts of our conversations, links to the YouTube videos associated with the podcast, guest updates, and our online shop are all available at bottomlesscoffeepodcast.com. In our next episode, we'll be discussing caregiving with Rachel Austin, a multi-talented performer and the founder of a nonprofit dedicated to connecting caregivers, the Love Labor Project. The conversation is fascinating, and I think you'll love it. See you there.